0: Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of you Welcome. Coming up on today's show, GSP says he might return to fight under one condition. Hosmet Chamayev's coach says he could have done better against Gilbert Burns, and Joe Rogan spoke out about Conor McGregor. All that later on today's program, but first, I want to begin with some more talk on Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury after a quick word about today's sponsor. Guys, our show sponsor today is from my new favorite cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu. As the first sports-based cryptocurrency, Marshall Anu donates Ethereum, a popular crypto coin, to amateur and professional mixed martial arts athletes, giving them and their team the support they need to pursue their goals. Founded by a team of crypto experts, the code behind the MRI token is published on Etherscan and has been publicly verified and audited by two of the top cryptocurrency auditing firms, Solidity Finance and Certik. For a list of answers and common questions and the Project Light paper, check out marshallanew.com. Bob Arum came out. He was talking about Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. He said this UFC guy, whatever his name is, versus Tyson Fury, this is going to do huge numbers. They know each other. This is going to do bigger business than Mayweather versus McGregor. That's a quote, and I'm not kidding. Bob Arum said those words. He said they know each other, and this is going to do... What what the hell does that have to do with it, that they know each other? This UFC guy, he could not produce the name of Francis Sangano. Bob Arum, one of the most successful, longest-standing promoters in the history of Earth, just stated publicly, that this fight was going to be massive and could not produce 50% of the principal, meaning one of the guy's names. Why would Bob do that? There has never been anything sold in the history of commerce from a marketing standpoint that these two guys are going to make a whole bunch of money. Never been done. New Spider-Man's coming out. you got to see it. Peter Parker's going to make $30 million. This is going to be great for Marvel. What? Vince McMahon, who has promoted everything that you could promote in every which direction you could do it from, has never done it from a standpoint of this is going to make us a bunch of money. No promoter has done that ever. Might be thinking it, might be hoping for it, he's got every right to get a return on his investment, no problem. He's never advertised it that way. Could you imagine any other commodity? Guys, you've got to come down to this new restaurant. You've got to get this tomahawk steak. The restaurant is making a fortune selling these things. What? You could even do it in reverse. Hey guys, there's a house at the end of the block. It's half of market value. Would you tell the world that or would you just go in and tie it up under contract and buy it? Nothing has ever been sold in this fashion. And I'm wondering why Bob said it. I don't think that Bob believes it. I think that I also need to give myself a reality check. I have been very against that fight and its level of success. I just don't think that there's much of a crossover there for an MMA guy versus a boxing guy. There is a ton of MMA guys who have offered to go take on boxing guys. It's been done one time. Conor versus Mayweather, who, by the way, wanted to rematch each other and nobody signed off and did it again. So it's just one of those things where every clue that I'm given, that doesn't work. When we know the outcome, it doesn't work. To bring in Francis, who's a big heavy hitter, against a guy in Tyson Fury who is clearly proven to be the greatest heavyweight of all time. You could put Tyson Fury in any era you wanted to. Yes, I know, it's blasphemy. Muhammad Ali's era, Tyson Fury would win. It's blasphemy. Mike Tyson's era, Tyson Fury would win. You are taking the absolute greatest and putting him in there with somebody who's never done it, but is a pretty big puncher. For me, that's a hard story to tell. But if you're going to tell them this is what you're going to do, you're going to start from jump Street. If you're Bob Ehrman, you're a promoter, go, Oh my goodness. no, this changes everything. They're going to do it with four ounce gloves. That's what Fra- Francis is used to. Those four ounce gloves change the defense. Tyson Fury has never even put those things on. It changes the way he blocks. It changes the way he rolls. It changes the way there's powers, appeals to your setup shots. Like you're going to sell it in some fashion. You're not going to just say that everybody else is going to make a whole bunch of money. Oh, and by the way, that money's coming from you. Tune in this Saturday. Nothing has ever been marketed that way. Not to mention the biggest fight of all time, according to the longest standing licensed promoter of all time. He couldn't produce the name. He called him this UFC guy. So what do you make of that? Is Bob shooting straight with us? If Bob's shooting straight with us, then Bob is going to try to book that fight. Tyson Fury is under contract for boxing. Francis Ngannou is under contract for MMA. They said they're going to do something else. So there's no contract that either one of them has signed that would cover something else. I think it's absolute paramount they stop with that silliness, in my opinion. I think they've got to go do boxing. Quit saying hybrid. Do boxing, and boxing always changes the ounces of the gloves. You can do 10-ounce professional boxing. You go up to 16-ounce professional boxing. The audience has never let in on it. The audience never knows. Now, in this particular case, they think that it's very relevant that the audience understand the ounces of the gloves. I mean, we're doing this all the way down to bare knuckle where there's no gloves, there's no ounces. I mean, it's just one of these things. I don't know how much the audience cares and how much you think you're going to level the playing field. I think that it's an unnecessary element of it. That's my own opinion. To hell with it. We're going to make up some rules and these two guys are going to go. I mean, I'm either right or I'm wrong. And the night that this goes off is when we find out, and I look back and I told you guys that wouldn't work, but now you got Bob Arum saying that it is going to work. He can't produce Francis's name, but it's going to work because these guys know each other. It's going to do bigger business than Floyd versus Connor. Okay, real simple. Then you're a player, Bob. What is your offer? Nobody else has this locked up. Nobody else knows what this does. Nobody else has the dates. What is your offer? I would assume you're putting in. But if I was to guess for you guys, he's not. He's not putting in. He couldn't even produce the names. But he says it's going to be the big because they know each other. It's a very interesting comment. Nothing has ever been done that way. Bob Arum has never sold a fight talking about the money that it's going to bring in for his organization or for the athletes. It's never been done. Doesn't make it wrong. There could be one-offs. There could be nuances. We can all learn something. Things can change. It's the first time for everything. All of that stuff's true. Bob couldn't produce the guy's name, and he stated that it was going to do well because these guys know each other. What kind of sales pitch is that? How long are the rounds? How about that? Can they clinch? How about that? Who's efficient, an MMA referee or a boxing referee? How about that? Is it in a cage? Is it in a ring? there's some things that are very relevant. What is the weight class? How many rounds are they going to go? I mean, we've already seen that backfire. Right, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, that's a great example. If your body is not used to 12 rounds, if you have not done that before, just putting that in the clause greatly tips the scale in the favor of the boxer. It's relevant. Maybe we don't do that. Maybe we do everything under MMA rules. It's going to be three five-minute rounds, by example. It's going to be five five five-minute rounds, by example. Maybe we make Fury do something that Fury's never done before. I keep hearing that they want to meet in the middle. They're going to take all kicks away. They're going to take all takedowns away. But other than that, they're going to meet in the middle. I don't know if I agree. I don't really give a damn if it's in a cage or a ring. Doesn't make any bit of difference to me. I've heard guys complain about that, but only post-fight, only once they lost. Once they lost in a ring, they complained it should have been a cage. Once they lost in a cage, they complained that the cage should have been bigger and or the cage should have been small. Like, it's one of these really weird things. I personally don't care. But if we're all going down this road and it looks like that's the direction that we're headed, I think that we need a little bit of clarity on what it is we're doing. And I strongly feel we need to go out and we need to do boxing. Strongly feel that way. I strongly feel if you're going to do MMA, but you're just going to take out the kicks and the takedowns, just put them in MMA and have an agreement. I know that's not a perfect way to do things. A guy could double cross and go. I get all those things, but that's as close as you're going to get. I don't like the idea that we're making something up. I don't like the fact that Bob Arum has said it's going to do great because they know each other and they couldn't produce one of the guy's names. Not to mention Bob, I don't believe is going to bid on this, which means Bob is doing something different. He's trying to set up some other promoter. He's doing his competing and his fighting from the outside by making an allure that it's a really big deal, but then he's not going to go in. Like, it's really interesting that he chose to do that. I could not imagine being a promoter in stating something is going to break records in the industry that I have survived it and not be able to produce one of the guy's names. I could not imagine trying to sell to the audience that this is going to work because it's going to bring in a bunch of money, your money, you're all going to buy this. And we're going to take it. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. It's not a storyline that works. The biggest take that Bob Arum had for why this fight is going to do outdo McGregor versus Mayweather is because these guys know each other. What the hell is Bob talking about? Staying in the heavyweight division. I want to talk about a fight that everyone is dying to see, and also get you up to speed on the latest. Couple of questions. I got a couple of questions about John Jones versus Stipe. Now, this is predicated on an article that I just read, posted at bjpen.com, where John Jones said, and I quote, "I'm we're going to push the fight back till September. I want the heavyweight goat at his absolute best." That's not a ton of information to go on. We're all speculated it's going to be Jones versus Stipe. I think it has to be Jones versus Stipe. I don't think there's anyone else that we could get them to fight, absent of Engano, who happens to have a contract dispute in interest in boxing. Oh, and by the way, an in injury going on. Okay, so we all agree that it's reasonable to assume we're going to see Jones versus Stipe. But John said, I want to push it to September. I want the heavyweight GOAT, meaning Stipe, to be at his absolute best, which leads you to believe it's Stipe... That isn't ready to go. Is that true? Is that accurate? What is exactly the holdup for this match? And you've got to, whatever answer you have, you have to put in conjunction with International Fight Week. The prized card of the year that is only nine weeks away and is yet to be discussed. There is nobody assigned specifically to that card, let alone the main event. And don't forget, on International Fight Week, historically speaking, we get multiple, the entire main card, by example, generally multiple championship matches. It's a very special event. We thought maybe Conor would be back. I personally believe there was something to the Poirier versus Diaz. I don't believe that Chimaev is ready for that yet. Kamaru Usman in Leon is the match that's agreed to, but doesn't yet have a date. Because like we're always trying to get ahead and trying to figure out, it now does look like it's not going to be Jones versus Stepe, And that's a very compelling match. I mean, it really is. This John Jones experiment has not fallen deaf on me yet. I am still very into this. If this was any other athlete but John Jones, and you had any one of three clues, I would tell you he's going to lose. For example, he hasn't fought in two years. Whoever that person is, it's not going to be a good night. History would back me up on that. He's changing weight classes. He's going into a weight class that adds 60 pounds to anything he's ever done before. It's not going to be a great night, whoever the name is. If you tell me that an athlete is going to participate who is now at a new gym in a completely different state than he resides, I'm going to tell you that outcome is not going to be wonderful. John has all of those things stacked up against him. The problem is he's John Jones. He's done a lot of things that nobody else can do. He's done a lot of things that nobody else has been able to do. And I got my ear to this stuff. I hear the way that he's training. I hear the way he looks in the practice room. He is getting glowing reviews. But at some point, a guy's got to go. We thought that was going to be early this year. Turns out it's not. We also thought it was going to be against Engano. Take that off the board. Completely insert Stipe. Where are we going to do this at? Okay, now we're pushing again all the way till September. Is that official? I don't know. I don't know. John says, I'm going to push it till September. I want Stipe at his best, which leads you to believe that it's Stipe that's pushing back. But we don't have any evidence of this. Not as a hard fact, we don't. And it is really relevant. Like, I can't, I could think of a few guys that I would like to see Stipe fight. None of them, they would all fail in comparison to John Jones. However, on the other side of the coin, I could not name a few guys that I want to see John fight. I can only name one. And if you push me to name two, oh, okay, but then I gotta go back to Francis, which seems very unlikely. And it's a tough spot for John. Like, there is a way to be too good, truly. I'll come back to the Roy Jones effect, but all through the 90s, everybody in boxing, from the participants, any weight class, to the announcers, to the coaches, to the trainers, anybody, fans, anybody involved in boxing, all agreed that Roy Jones Jr. was the fighter of the decade. But there was tons of fights that Roy did not sell out arenas. There was zero of those fights that ever set any records. And it was just because Roy was so doggone good. John is very much in that same element. Now we have other athletes that meet that same criteria and they do great. I'll insert a name for you. Michael Jordan. It didn't matter if the Bulls were going to play the Pistons or the Trailblazers. Did not make a difference. If MJ was showing up, that arena was going to be gone. And tickets were going to be outside being scalped. It was guaranteed slam dunk business. That wasn't because something was done with Jordan. Jordan did not have a different approach to it. He just showed up and he just played. And he was just really good. And people appreciated that greatness. And for some reason, they don't carry over to sport very often of combat. Mike Tyson had the same thing. But he had an element. And he had a mystery. And he had an anger. And he had an intensity. Like He had other commodities that were people willing to buy into. I don't... John Jones, I got to see him with Stipe. I've got to. Tia Vassa's on the rise up. I don't, that doesn't work for me. Derek Lewis, hard night for anybody. Curtis Blades, tough night out for anybody. It doesn't work the same. It's really got to be Stipe, but then after Stipe, where do we go? We're stuck right back in the same position. It's tough. It's not John's fault. If you think I'm giving John a hard time, I'm not. But who is he going to fight? Who is his opponent gonna be? Moreover, who is he going to partner with? I personally believe in Aspinwall. I think that that he is really a diamond in the rough. I think that he's gonna go on and do really great things. Put in there with John Jones right away is a little bit of a tough sell. And we're throwing in the deep end a little bit quick. Not to mention, we got a lot of questions on John. When I talk about the John Jones experiment, I'm talking about taking two years off, changing the way you train. Changing your physiology, getting up to 240 pounds and going into a new weight class. John's like 33 years old, 34. This has never been attempted, let alone succeeding. But John has done other things that nobody else has attempted or succeeded at, right? Like we got to be very open to this idea. Not to mention, why would Stepe push it back? We've never been told that he's dealing with an injury. We have been told a period of time ago. That Stepe knew it was gonna be John Jones, was offered John Jones, is expecting John Jones, and accepted John Jones. I don't have evidence for you right now that Stipe did push it back. I have one sentence from John Jones that I'm digging into that he says, We're going to push it to September. I want Stipe at his best. And he didn't even say the word Stipe, he said, The UFC heavyweight goat. All right. But this is how we have to do it. Like, there's such limited information, not to mention that's one of the perennial fights out there. If we were playing a game and I had a magic wand, you said, Chael, tell me the three biggest fights. You can match anybody up in any division. How are you going to do it? That for sure is going to be one of my three. Stipe is also looking to change his physiology, and I'm told he has succeeded. That he went from in the 230s, pound-wise, to in the 250s, pound-wise. For me, it's very important ingredient that whoever John faces next weighs more than John the day before when they get on the scale. Like, that's what this whole experiment is based on. Can John take these world-class championship skills and apply them to somebody who outweighs him and, in theory, is stronger than him? The whole thing is predicated on that. Which could blow up on us if his opponent, who we believe to be Stipe, happens to weigh in it less. We still want to be the, see the match. I'm splitting hairs over here. But if we're to tell the story the way it's been laid out and has been unfolding for two years, that's a very important ingredient. So, okay, as of today... According to BJPenn.com, according to John Jones, Jones, Stipe, September. Is that accurate? Does that mean something's agreed on and it happens to be agreed to September or if we just kicked the can to at least September? I don't think we need to keep having the secret. I don't think we have to refer to Stipe as the UFC heavyweight go. Why can't we call him Stipe? What else is going to work in that division? And once we get this match, we're all going to be very happy when we do. That is a massive fight, but where do we go from here? it's a tough spot. It's not our problem. It's a division's problem. But it could become a John Jones or a Stipe problem. They need to go out there. They need to look at their own division. They need to start building guys up. and you start elevating guys. It's a very hard thing to do when you're competitive. You want to go over in this island. You want to make sure there's distance and everybody gets left over here, but you've got to be strategic. It can't be checkers of what's next. It's got to be chess of two and three moves from now. The heavyweight division does have some good parity. I think it's even got the talent. I don't think that talent has been given its opportunity to shine. I don't think it's risen to the levels. And again, I'm going to go back to Aspenwall, but there's a few more names that I could mention for you as well. But those guys have got to get the rub sooner rather than later. Because when John and Stipe are done with each other, where do we go from there? Coming up in a moment. I'm going to move from the heavyweight goat to some guys that many of you might consider the actual goat. That's next. But first, let me tell you about today's sponsor. Have you ever wondered how your favorite athletes ensure their grooming products are up to task? They use Hawthorne. Steph Curry says he can't live without their body wash and Zach Levine chose their quiz to tailor his perfect cologne. Hawthorne is a premium men's grooming brand that makes it quick and easy to be your best with confidence with skincare and hair care made just for you. They use data from hundreds of thousands of customers to recommend perfect products for your body chemistry, skin type, hair type and lifestyle. So lean on Hawthorne to upgrade your body wash, shampoo and deodorant. Let them recommend a face cleanser and moisturizer that elevates your game and of course, They perfected the process to find the perfect cologne, all to make sure you truly look and feel the best for whatever comes your way. To get started, take Hawthorne's quiz. They're going to ask you things like, what's your skin type? Dry, oily, normal. Are you a scent guy? It was actually really quick and easy. And to my surprise, I was pleased with their customized recommendations at the end of the quiz. I generally prefer a clean scent. I don't like heavy colognes. Hawthorne system recommended a fresh aquatic smelling cologne, which I personally thought was spot on. Hawthorne stands by their customers. So if you're not completely satisfied, they'll retail your products for free based on your feedback and pay for the shipping. So there's truly no risk. So get ready for whatever comes your way this season by taking Hawthorne's quiz today. Go to Hawthorne.co and use the promo code CHALE. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Use the promo code CHAIL. (laughs) Guys, we are well into the spring season. The time of year we need to get our lawns looking good. Thankfully, Sunday gets your lawn growing and helps to keep it looking healthy all season long. Are you worried about the chemicals that you're using to keep your yard looking its best? Traditional lawn care lays down 90 million pounds of pesticides each year. Jeez! Sunday is different. Now you don't have to choose between having a beautiful yard and keeping your family out of harm's way. It may seem like a lot of work to keep your grass healthy and green all season, so let Sunday do the work for you. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or nasty chemicals. Their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn with the ingredients like seaweed, iron, and molasses. You can feel good with kids and pets being around it. All you have to do is go visit sunday.com, put in your address, and their lawn analysis tool does the rest. They use your soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan delivered to your door when you need it. Just attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes, and best of all, this stuff really works. Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Chael. George St-Pierre did an interview, and get a load of what he said. He said he's open to a grappling match against Khabib. He's got one condition. It needs to be in a professionally ran organization. I know exactly what George means by that. He doesn't want some cluster, something goes on in a back room, something that's a mess, there happens to be cameras there. He wants this to be done the right way. I fully understand, but let's take a look at that. I think that that is, I don't know that there's any grappling match that could do a million views. Any grappling match anywhere that you want to do. Any heat, any rivalry, any feud, any title on the line that could do a million views. I don't think so. I do believe Khabib versus St. Pierre is that one exception. And MMA works largely for the same reason that court TV works. Did you guys, I grew up on something called the People's Court. Judge Wapner. Two people have a dispute, and they agree to settle it here. In our forum, the People's Court, it was the only court show that was on TV, but it did a run, guys. This thing was on TV for like 15 years, and people looked forward to it. It was only a 30-minute show, and everybody watched it. I compare the People's Court to MMA, because the thing that works about MMA is you have a conflict, and then you have conflict resolution, right? That is ultimately what the unified rules is all about. There's a conflict. We're going to resolve the conflict. One person wins, one person loses. We all understand that. And then you bring in the next conflict. It would seem as though the conflict between George St. Pierre and Khabib, if I had my wish, if I had my way, they would get it resolved. And grappling is just fine with me. Like something needs to happen that involves those two guys. We've got the conflict. Now we need the resolution. And both guys were so grappling heavy. They were so grappling heavy in their careers that, in many ways, if we could establish who the better grappler was, we would have to concede who would have won had they fought. Like it just—it just works for me, and I'm very interested in what Khabib's response to this is going to be, because Khabib has said something similar to George in the past, which is that I'm not going to fight again. Grappling is not fighting. I, of course, would would listen to whatever proposals came in that regard. And the person that asked Khabib the question was specifically referring to George St. Pierre. And it's interesting. One FC is doing grappling. They're doing an MMA show, and then they'll bring two grapplers out. Right in the middle of the show. These guys are going to be contesting grappling rules, and then they'll go back to MMA. They do it all the time. Works just fine. Eagle FC, which Khabib is the promoter of, which would definitely qualify under George's statement, of being a very professionally ran event. I mean, just by example, like this thing could happen. How much do you guys want to see that? Am I right? Is my head in the clouds on this one and I'm missing it because I want that and I just assume you guys do because I do that sometimes. I'm only a human being. It just seems to me that that would work and both camps would agree to settle their dispute here in our forum under the unified rules of grappling. It's a compelling match, and if you're a promoter and you have the chance to get George St. Pierre, if you're a promoter and you have the chance to get Khabib, you just can't pass that up. You can't pass on the sport's two biggest stars of all time in any capacity, let alone if they're going to come together and still continue to call yourself a promoter. You either are or you are not. It'll be interesting where this goes. I really like that match. And people always think that George is going to come back. I've argued for you guys that I've never believed Michael Bisping was retired. Now, only time will tell. Bisping either comes back, and I was right, or Bisping doesn't come back, and I was wrong. But very few guys keep themselves in this level of shape. It's just not a fun thing to do. I went to the gym every day for 25 years. But nobody was in there that was a hobbyist. They all had goals, whether that was belt ranks and they wanted to, you know, work their way up to black or they had an event coming up or a tournament, they wanted to get an amateur fire, they wanted to go on to the UFC, something along these lines. Everybody had a dream and everybody had a goal. Nobody was doing it for a social club. Nobody was doing it in exchange for a exercise class because it was good for their cardio or to get their heart rate up. It just wasn't the case. And the people that see St. Pierre in the gym every day all assume that he's coming back for the same reasons that I've never accepted that Bisping was done. Doesn't mean I'm right, but Saint Pierre's people are asking him the same thing, and George is saying, "No, I just love the sport. I may not be an active fighter, but I'm a lifelong martial artist." Khabib is doing the same thing. He's doing it from a coaching role and a trainer role, but he's in the gym every single day and he's going very hard. I mean, I can just tell you as an athlete that you want to show that. You do. You want to. You want to show that to the world. It's kind of the point. It's kind of the point of working hard. Is that there's some kind of a payoff, and it comes in the form sometimes of, of payment, but generally in recognition. I think that's a massive match. I think St. Pierre versus Khabib, they've got a conflict, they're going to go resolve it. I don't need to see them punch one another. They don't want to do that. They can't work out a weight class. It does seem to me there's one other way to do it, which is in the world of grappling. And according to George St. Pierre, an article that I read 25 minutes ago, he at least is open to it. All right, guys, for the rest of the show, I want to transition to talking about some of the biggest names in MMA right now. Hosmet, Chamayev, and Conor McGregor. Let's start with the wall. Chemaev's coach spoke up, and Chemaev's coach admitted that he was frustrated with Chemaev in Chemaev's match against Burns, that he wasn't following the game plan. Now, I've heard many other people speak up and say that, and I even read an interview where George St. Pierre weighed in on it. George was saying, hey, look, you got to get disciplined. Some good things happened here. He dealt with adversity. He worked through it. He got some real minutes. He'd been going through everybody. He needed some time. However, he's got to stay more focused. Got to have a game plan. Got to stick to it. Now, I saw something different. I thought Chimaev looked awesome. And I've been in Chumayev's shoes where you get on a roll. And that's all your coach sees. You get in competitions, you get on a roll. Whatever it is you set out to do, take a guy down, get control, slow the match down get some ground, and pout, whatever it might be. But you also do that in practice. You show the coach every single day. No matter who the training partner is, what the situation, you show him that you have this ability. You have the ability to cut off the ring. You have the ability to close the distance. You have the ability to drag the guy down to the mat. You have the ability to do good work there. But what happens when you're in a situation like Chimaev? See, I don't think that Chimaev threw the game plan out. That's my thing. I don't think that Chimaev lost focus. I don't think that Chimaev got pulled into fighting a different fight than his fight. I think he was forced to do it. It's one of the reasons I enjoyed it and I appreciated Chimaev so much. What happens if your plan is to go out, hit that double, drag the guy down to the canvas, and it fails? It's a two-man sport. Two plus two does not equal four in MMA. Like, there's no perfect math. You can go out, if, in this case Chimaev, and do everything right. You can measure your opponent. You can slip. You can close the distance. You can get to the hips. You can do everything right, and it doesn't work. Your opponent knows where his hips are. Your opponent knows how to turn in. He knows how to find a side wizard. He knows how to create separation from your head and his body, which makes you very weak, which makes that technique not work. What do you do then? You can't get frustrated. and You can't always just go back to it. Well, if the first technique doesn't work, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. At some point, you have to learn. He's ready for this technique. Oh, by the way, I've had four fights. I hit the same technique on absolutely everybody, so we had a good idea that it was coming. It turns out he's prepared for it. i got to mix it up. And that's what I saw Chemaev do. And yes, that's a dangerous way to fight, for sure. If that is the final analysis on this, I'll stand down and I'll completely agree. With the coach, with St. Pierre, with all the assessments that are coming in, I'll fully agree. Anybody that goes into a shootout, that is a long-term plan, does not generally equal an undefeated MMA record. It's just who can get to the target first, right? I mean, it's one of those things. But if you're mixing things up, if you've got... The intangibles are more important, I must tell you. Can you dig deep? Can you fight when your eye is shut? Can you fight when your nose is broke? Can you fight when you think it's going to be an easy night and it turns out to be really hard? Can you fight all 15 minutes when you thought that you were going to be out there five or less? Like, can you change? You were planning to drag the guy down, but you end up in your feet for 50% of the time. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. You either pass that test in the moment or you don't. When things are hotter than you thought they were going to be, generally a fighter will unravel. But I was noticing small stuff with Chemayev. I was noticing how in the moment he was. There was a point in that match where a takedown had happened and Gilbert Burns, who's a three-time world jiu-jitsu champion, spun for an arm bar. Chemayev simply pulled his arm out of the way so his elbow was through the legs. To you at home, that probably looked very simple. I agree. But you must be extremely 100% present in that moment or Gilbert Burns is going to snatch your arm. That was a fight-ending sequence where Gilbert Burns did everything from a technical standpoint right. But he didn't get the arm. How come? Well, because Chemayev did the defense right too, right? They were both playing the same game. As much as anybody wants to say they were frustrated with the way that Chemayev fought or that Chemayev got away from his game plan, the same was true for Gilbert. It was absolute chaos. Henry Hoof and company did not tell Gilbert, go out there and make this chaotic, make this a mess, fight him absolutely everywhere. They prepared him for anything. They warmed him up appropriately and they sent their fighter into combat. It's one of the reasons that I thought that Chemayev looked so great. It's one of the reasons that Chemayev flew up in the rankings. I don't know what he was ranked before, but all the way to number three. Because he really was tested. And when the end of the fight came, I was noticing how much Chemaev was still bouncing around. Like his footwork was never stagnant. He was not tired. He was not slowing down. He was not backing down. He was in a chaotic, dangerous fight. That is true. But I don't know that I agree to the premise that he was there on his own accord. I think that takes away from Gilbert. If you're making as though Chimaev had lost focus and that's why it was such an ugly fight as far as technique goes, you're taking away from Gilbert Burns. Why can't we admit that Chimaev's plan to take him down, it wasn't that he vacated it, it wasn't that he resisted or boycotted that idea, it's that it didn't work. Those takedowns just weren't there. They weren't as easy. The more times a guy stops it, the harder it gets. The sweatier a guy is, the more your heart rate gets up, the harder it is to do those things. They don't get easier as the night goes on. If your first one fails, it's not as though your second one gets more likely to happen. It gets less likely to happen. And there was some big takedowns, and there was some big scrambles, and there was some very technical moments. But for the most part, that fight was an all-out brawl. I agree. I agree. That's a dangerous game. I agree. If you can get better, if you can get more disciplined, if you can slow that down, if you're grappling heavy and you can make the grappling more of a component, that's better for the long run. I agree. I just greatly resist anybody that faults the performance of Chemaev. It was awesome. Everything was against him. Everything that he envisioned and believed to be true ended up not being. The domination that he planned on having was met with resistance. The takedowns that he thought would be there easily were met with resistance. The striking that he thought would be a plan B, no problem, was met with resistance. It turned into a fight. And so many athletes understand aggression. Aggression is the punches and the kicks and the takedowns and the chokes going one way. When they start coming back at you, that's where the fight is. And many people crumble, particularly the first time that it happens to you. The first time a match turns out to be harder than you thought it was going to be is a very negative experience, and you chalk it up to a learning lesson. Chemayev passed. The hotter it got, the more he rose to it. The uglier it got, the bloodier it got, the more painful it got, the more he rose to the occasion. I saw something very different than most people. I had a very different interpretation of Chemayev after that. I don't concede that he lost focus or that he was undisciplined. Gilbert Burns showed up ready. He stopped the first line of offense, and Chemayev had to go to the second and third. Dana White said that Chimaev was tested and he passed with flying colors. That's what I also saw. And yes, it was ugly, and yes, it was chaotic, and yes, those are dangerous fights. You put a guy in five, six, seven grappling heavy fights when he's the better wrestler would be good for him. You put him in 5-6-7 shootouts of here I am, here you are. We're both within distance. Let's throw and see who get to the target fastest. That's dangerous. I agree, but I think that both can be right at the same time. Joe Rogan said something a couple weeks ago. And Joe made a very simple comment. Where he just said, I think when Conor McGregor comes back, he should do a tuna fight. Joe furthered that thought by saying they do it in boxing all the time. Now, I fully understand this concept that Conor McGregor was hurt, he was injured, he's coming back. Your comeback fight is never going to be your best performance. You're questioning yourself. No matter how brave and how proud you look, you are questioning yourself. You will think about that. Boxers a lot of times get knocked out, and their career is different forever. People that study boxing from a very lazy and misinformation standpoint will tell you that once your chin gets tested that way, that you lose your chin. That is not what happens. It is psychological. You think you're invincible and you have every reason to believe that because you never have been knocked out. As soon as you get knocked out, you now sense your own mortality and you are hesitant and you are gun shy. Every time you throw a shot, that's when you're open to take a counter. That's when that chin is going to be exposed. And so now you're not throwing the same. You're not coming the same. You're questioning yourself. You're hesitant. Your output isn't the same. That's what ends up happening. It's very psychological once you get knocked out one time. So I only bring that to you. Anderson Silva talked about this when he came back. Chris Weidman is getting ready to go on this same journey, and he's being a little bit more open to talk about it. Tim Sylvia had an injury. It's just one of these things where you do have to test it when you come back. I get the concept of a tuna fight, but now Daniel Cormier is waiting on it. Said, yes, I think that's a very good idea. Now, let's look into that just a little bit. First off, there's no promoter in the world that could ever use that term and make it draw. You just can't. But Okay, we would still know if a tuna fight was going to happen. We're not going to disclose that, we don't put that on the poster, but what are you going to do for a tune-up fight? And and the reason I'm bringing this to you guys, the term tune-up fight does very much come from the world of boxing. There is two distinctions that make that possible. First off, there is not a set contract. So you do not have to pay the guy the same as if he was taking on contenders as if he was taking on somebody that was as big of a draw. That's uh, paramount, number one. But number two, and this seems to be missed and not understood. When they do a tune-up fight in boxing, they bring in a guy that is not with the organization. They bring in a guy who does not have multiple fights within the organization, either prior or in the future. He's brought in from somewhere else on a one-off. It is a lamb coming to slaughter, and he absolutely understands it, and everybody knows it. Within the UFC, that human being doesn't exist. I mean, let's just play the game, guys. Can we get Connor somebody out of the top 10? No. No. That's silly. He's going to be a main event. He's going to be on pay-per-view. We're going to have somebody within the top 10. We get it. Who is it at 155 that you believe is the tune-up fight? I don't have that list in front of me. Let me throw you some names off the top of my head. Do you think that Connor can go out, tune-up, easy, get good work, get good minutes, win the whole thing, not be in jeopardy against Benny. Do you think that against Ferguson? Do you think that against Chandler? Do you think that the- Gaethje's the guy? Is Oliveira who should we call? Should we go over to Poirier? I'm running out of fingers here. Who is it that you believe would be the tune-up fight? And once you realize that person doesn't exist, there is no guarantee that he's going to go out there and get good work. you got to understand, you're betting tens of millions of dollars. Quite literally. You're going to honor the contract of both guys. You're not going to be able to move that because it's a lesser job. You're not bringing in an outside guy that's never been here before. That's what they do in boxing. Within the Ultimate Fighting Championship, you're not coming there to learn how to fight. You have well proven that you know how to fight. Should we bump him up to 170 and play the same game? What person is it that you feel fits that criteria? And if you're dealing with Conor, you have to at some point, and I believe we're at that point, you have to assume every single fight he has is his last one. You are not going to get him back. He is not coming back. And he is to that point in his career. I don't know what that number is. But I do believe if we were to ask Conor himself, he would give us a number. He would be guessing, of course, like anybody would. But I think that you would be surprised how small that number. Hey, I'm going to do three more. Realistically, I got five more in me. Hey, realistically, I'm going to do two more. Hey, this next one could be the last it's. I think we're in one of those positions. So you're making a hell of a gamble. At what difference does it make? You guys want to know a fight for Conor that nobody's discussing? You want to know know a fight for Conor they should think about doing? Michael Chiesa. That's the one that has absolutely never been discussed by anybody. I personally believe that there's a gag order. I personally believe there's a reason that Chiesa has never called out McGregor. But just to remind you guys, when the bus incident between Conor and the Dolly and Khabib took place, there was lawsuits that followed that. And Chiesa was one of them. Kiesa got glass into his eye. It was a very bad experience. I think there's a story there, personally. Whether that turned into fruition and that turned into a fight, I've always thought there was a story there that should be told, but neither guy has told it. Neither guy's manager has told it. Neither camp has told it. No trainers have told it. So I've just elected on my own that there must be some kind of a gag order in place. But that's the match. That's a very interesting match from a stylistic standpoint. That checks a lot of boxes. I don't know how bullish I am on the idea. I'm not against the idea that Conor rucks right into a world title fight at one of two weight classes. Olivera and Gaethje have both made it very clear, yes, I will take on Conor. I understand the winner of Islam and Benny should be next. I will take on Conor in the deal. They both said it. What, are you going to tell the champion that did everything right? He doesn't get what he wants? I mean, it's one of those things. Just because you want to take away from Connor because he didn't want to last fight. I mean, so it's one of these weird things. There is no tune-up fight. But there's no tune-up fight because we use guys within the organization already. I always hear these comparisons of MMA to boxing. I I don't fully understand it. The leadership in boxing has done such an abysmal job. Why you would want to go from a sport that is coveted and looked at more fondly to one that is so corrupt that the government had to step in to regulate. I haven't the foggiest idea. I don't know of anything from boxing that you would want to copy, truly. But just so you understand this tune-up fight business, when you're saying that and you're trying to juxtapose it to boxing, here's the difference. The guy that's brought in to do the job, to be the tune-up, is not with the organization, and he is not given a multi-fight contract, and he may never be back. It is by design somebody to get this guy work. It is a sparring partner. It is not a coveted session. There has not been a tune-up fight in history that I'm aware of that went on the top of the bill. There was a marquee fight. I know that they exist, but it's just not what we do over here. I just don't know how you're going to get it. I will suggest for you that there are names out there that are not the likely suspects, that have incredible stories, that would do incredible business. I like the kiss idea. I've never heard anybody say it before. I don't know where Kies is at in terms of did he win his last fight or did he not. I, I know he was on a good streak there for a minute. I don't know specifically his last one. There's a lot of reasons why that match makes sense. Not to mention you're going to get work. I mean, above everything else, if you don't want to get a guy hurt, you want to get him work, you put him in there with somebody that doesn't knock out a whole bunch of people. He's grindy. He grapples. He, I, I, just offering for you. I'd like to know what you think about that idea specifically, but I also do wonder in another vein, how come that has never been discussed? How do you have a lawsuit? How do you have something uh, so personal and let you never have a call out? It would seem that you'd want to deal with that guy. It seems that you'd want to adjudicate that somewhere else than with an arbitration. To me, I'll bring it up. I'm floating ideas. But as far as this Tuna business, it's, it's very rude. It's very rude to make believe that some guy's going to come in and be a Tuna fight. That's just not what happens over here. And if you were gonna try to orchestrate that behind the scenes, but stay within the top 10, which is a a level of reasonableness, who are you gonna go with? Who within the top 10 of either one of those divisions? We know Conor's coming back to one of them. We don't know which one. Who within the top 10 fits that bill? It seems like a very silly topic to bring up. It seems like a, a misunderstanding of the difference between boxing and MMA. Not to mention, it's flat rude. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I just want to thank you guys for all the support and listening to the podcast and subscribing to my YouTube channel, which, by the way, is almost at 1 million subscribers. If you know some loser who isn't subscribed, tell him to get on it. I'm out for the weekend, but I'm going to be back on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.